the mighty God, God Most High. He's the same from age to age. God doesn't change. Yet culture changes, and we have to be on our guard that we don't change what is unchanging, that we're not being pulled along on the currents of our culture, drifting along with every form of teaching, but that instead we are standing firm on the faith that is once for all delivered to the saints. D.A. Carson is one of the men that I respect as a pastor, teacher, theologian. He's professor of New Testament at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, Emeritus. And he wrote, In my most somber moods, I sometimes wonder if the ugly face of what I refer to as philosophical pluralism is the most dangerous threat to the gospel since the rise of the Gnostic heresy in the second century. I just put that up there for your consideration to remind you of why it is we've spent a couple of weeks here in between book studies looking at the threat to the gospel, as D.A. Carson speaks of, the postmodernist, the philosophical pluralism, the relativism of our age that is a temptation for the church to conform to in its thinking and in its practices, and especially in our ethics. And so we began by looking at how the church failed a hundred years ago to stand faithfully against the threat of liberalism. Now, theological liberalism, I'll remind you, was how the church conformed its teaching and practice to modernist thinking. But now modernism is not as prominent with the rise of postmodernism, then you had the wave of neo-orthodoxy in the 1930s and afterwards, liberation theology coming through the churches in the 1960s, and all of this postmodern wave leading up to where we are now, where we're really at the same tipping point that the church was at a hundred years ago in compromising the faith that has once for all been delivered to the saints with the ideas of man and the changing opinions of people in culture. Well, having diagnosed the root of the problem, it's important then that we spend last week and this week looking at the prognosis. What is the treatment for this infection? How do we protect ourselves? How do we protect our families? How do we protect our church against the infection of postmodernist philosophical pluralism, relativistic thinking, Well, we looked last week at how to do that, and we're going to continue that message, talking about how we don't want to be progressive in our Christianity, but we instead want to be biblical in our Christianity. Instead of a 21st century Christianity, we're going to have a 1st century Christianity. And that in order to do so, we need to build our faith on God's Word. I want to review some of what we looked at last week and add a little bit to it here because this is the most foundational. This is what is going to enable you to be sanctified in the truth. And then through this, you'll be able to have your family sanctified in the truth and you'll be able to have the church sanctified in the truth. And I I like to repeat that word sanctified because I wonder how much is that word even getting used in Christian culture these days? Have we even got a concept of the sanctity of the church and what is holiness and what are we called to in our lives? Very important. So, When you're building your faith on God's word, there were three things that I told you were essential in order to do that last week. 
that when you're reading the Bible, and I notice I say when you're reading the Bible, not if you're reading the Bible, when you're reading the Bible, you're looking for the author's intended meaning. And when I say the author's intended meaning, first of all, I'm talking about the human author's intended meaning. So you want to look at Paul, look at his life circumstances, look at his history that we have recorded in the book of Acts, look at who he's writing to and what his purpose is in the words that he is communicating in order to get to the author's intention. This is very important for reading any book, but especially the most important book in the history of mankind. Look for the author's intended meaning, because it's through the human author's intended meaning that God, the divine author of Scripture, communicates to us his intended meaning. You know, communication breaks down when we don't look for what the person is intending to communicate to us, but instead we just think about how I took it. I get into an argument with my wife and I say, well, I think you meant this when you said that. And she says, well, no, that's not what I meant. I was trying to say this. And I say, no, you were meaning something else. I know what you were meaning. That's where communication breaks down. And we don't want to do that with God's word. We don't want to do it with one another. We want to look at what did you intend to communicate by what you said. And so often we're not hearing what the other person is trying to communicate. Now that's tragic in marriage and children and family and friends, but it's even more tragic in our relationship with God when we go to God's word and we're not hearing what he intended for us to hear and understand. So we've got to clean out our ears a little bit and make sure that we know how to listen for what people are intending to mean, not how we're taking it. How you take it might be wrong. It might not be the right way it was intended. And then secondly, I encouraged you to not be an evangelical centrist. That is that you don't decide what is right and what is wrong by looking at the spectrum of opinions and then situating yourself in the middle so that you're not an extremist over here and you're not an extremist over there, but that you look at what Christians believe on a certain subject and you just kind of take the middle path, the third way as it's sometimes called. You got that way and you got that way and the, the third way is what evangelicals are doing these days and it's not the right way to understand truth. We don't come to truth by taking a middle path. We come to truth by understanding what does the scripture say. If the scripture's on the right, we'll be on the right. If the scripture's on the left, we'll be on the left. If the scripture's in the middle, we'll be in the middle. We'll be wherever scripture takes us. That's being a true student of scripture, allowing the scripture to have the authority of God's word. So avoid the temptation of centrism. Don't be a centrist. And then thirdly, you've got to read the Bible not just for doctrinal instruction, not just for personal spiritual encouragement, But read the Bible for ethical instruction. That when you start to think, well, what's right? What's wrong? What's fair? What's not fair? What's just? What should I do in this situation? What should I do in that situation? You go to the Bible to answer those questions. You don't trust in your feelings. You don't just trust in what people around you are telling you. You don't trust in what you've seen in stories and television and movies and news and and all of that or what you were educated at at school. You go to the Bible to find out what is right and what is wrong in every situation in life about how to take care of the environment, about how to vote politically, about how to have a marriage and how to be a parent, about every issue in life, how to conduct yourself at work, how to be a boss, how to be an employee. You go to the Bible to find out what is right and what is wrong. 
even on things like pronouns and what pronouns we should be using to talk to people. You go to the Bible for ethical instruction. You don't go to the world and the culture around you. So deliberately read your Bible with the idea that I need moral instruction. Don't think, oh, I've got it all covered, I know it all. You don't know it all, and you don't have it all covered, and it's very easy for Satan to mislead us and lead us astray. So that's why you need to be constantly in God's Word and submitting yourself to it, looking for what can this Bible verse teach me about what's right and wrong that I'm starting to lose sight of, that I'm starting to get twisted, that the world has spun me around on, and I don't even know up from down and left from right anymore. So, if you do those three things, then you will be doing what Timothy is encouraged to do in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. See, we're following a pattern. This is our pattern. This is the sound words from the apostles and prophets of the Lord that we are to follow in doctrine and in ethics. You know, I think one of the things that is really plaguing the church these days is the training of pastors. Pastors are not trained well in most colleges and seminaries, and therefore they come out and they do a poor job of being a pastor. And, you know, for all those seminary professors out there who are listening to me online, I want to tell them that you need to teach biblical ethics to the pastors who are coming out. That for so long we've just taken ethics for granted, and there was no real ethics taught to me in seminary. I had four theology classes and no ethics classes, and that is where Satan has tripped us up. We took ethics for granted, and now pastors left and right are denying biblical ethics because they were not grounded in that in their early days and many other reasons. But we need to build a biblical ethic. We need to follow the pattern of the sound words that you've heard from me. Now notice, Paul is the one who wrote this letter to Timothy. And so we need to follow the pattern of Paul's sound words, his doctrine, and his ethics. And there's a lot of attacks on Pauline doctrine and Pauline ethics in the Christian church. Just mentioning Paul can cause some Christians to get their feathers ruffled because they are so already turned around in their idea of what is right and wrong, specifically with marriage issues and gender issues. That what Paul says about that, a lot of Christians just can't stomach it. They can't follow that pattern of the sound words that Paul as an apostle of Jesus Christ, has given to us. And if you don't follow the apostle of Jesus Christ, you can't follow Jesus Christ because the apostle spoke with the authority and with the spirit of Jesus Christ. So what I want to encourage you to do as you're following the pattern of the sound words is read those sound words. You might have to put down some of those Christian books that you've got, that somebody gave you, that you picked up at the Christian bookstore. In fact, a lot of the Christian bookstores, you might just have to avoid them altogether. You have to be very selective at the Christian bookstore. You have to be very selective with the Christian music that you listen to as well. If you're getting your idea of worshiping God and serving God and loving God and following God from Christian music and Christian books, I'm here to warn you, you're going astray. Those things are not leading on the doctrine of the sound words that we have in Scripture, but instead it's drifting with the progressive Christian culture. And so don't drift with the progressive Christian culture. You put garbage in, you get garbage out. Be careful, little ears, what you hear. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Make sure that you are examining everything according to Scripture. And in order to do so, you need to be reading the Bible more than you are reading Christian authors. I don't want you to become a disciple of C.S. Lewis. He said a lot of good things. But I'd rather you be a disciple of Paul. 
I don't want you to become a disciple of Tim Keller. I want you to become a disciple of the New Testament, the apostles of Jesus Christ. Make sure you're reading those and put away some of those Christian books. Don't give them away because we don't want other people reading them. We want people to be reading their Bibles. We've got to get back to the Bible as the Lincoln ministry has the name. Now, be careful also who you listen to. Don't read their books and don't listen to their talks. They want to dialogue, they want to discuss, they want to have conversation so they can find the middle path and not be too extreme and, and all this. Just turn it off. Don't listen to it. Read your Bible and listen to people who teach God's Word. That's so important to build your faith, not on Christian culture, but build your faith on God's Word. I want to strongly encourage you to that end. I encourage you to read especially Paul's letters, since that's where Satan is attacking, that's where we need to bone up. You need to be strong where the enemy is putting his offense against you. And so read especially First and Second Timothy. Notice what Second Timothy chapter 4 says. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. This word accumulate has the idea of like piling up. And you go to the Christian bookstore and they're piling up Christian teachers who are teaching itching ears, people to suit their own desires, their own passions, and they're not holding fast to the sound words of the New Testament. They'll sprinkle a lot of truth in, but they'll sprinkle a lot of error in, and you won't know when you're being hoodwinked. So, very important to recognize that Christians will not endure sound doctrine, but you want to be different from that, and you want to be listening to those teachers who have a sincerity in their ministry. Now, sincerity doesn't mean that they just sound sincere, that they sound authentic, when I say sincere, I'm quoting what Paul is saying to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5 and 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, where he's saying that the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. That sincerity is honest, pure, and true. Those are the, the synonyms for sincerity that I found in Webster's Dictionary. It's honest, it's pure, and it's true. Now, a lot of people mistake sincerity for a worldly authenticity. Okay? So just because somebody is authentic doesn't mean they're sincere because one of the definitions for authentic, one of the ways the word is used, according to Webster, is true to one's own personality, spirit, or character. And there's a lot of people who are very true to their own personality, spirit, or character, and they sound so authentic, they sound so sincere, they sound so compelling. But I don't want you listening to people who are true to their own personality. I want you listening to people who are true to Christ. I want you listening to people who are true to the Bible, that they have that authenticity. Another definition for authenticity, this is the good kind of authenticity, not false or imitation, but real actual. There's a lot of false Christianity. There's a lot of imitation Christianity. I want you to have the real Christianity. And how do we know what the real Christianity is? The words of Jesus, the words of his apostles. This is real Christianity. Okay? That's the authenticity we're looking for, not that personal authenticity, but authentic to the truth, authentic to honest, pure, and true Bible doctrine. So, Read the pastoral epistles. Study the pastoral epistles. Memorize the pastoral epistles. I think these are probably the most important letters of the New Testament for this current moment. 
that if the evangelical church is to survive, it will be because they start reading, studying, and teaching the pastoral epistles. I think that is the remedy. And so let's lead the way. Let's our church be a church full of people who know and understand what God's will is for the church by reading the letters that God wrote to pastors. God wrote letters to pastors. Are pastors reading them? Do pastors even care? I wonder sometimes. I ask pastors, what are you reading? They don't say the pastoral epistles. They say this book, that book. I've really been guided in my ministry by this author. And it's like, well, you know, that's okay, but what about Ephesians? What about First and Second Timothy? What about Titus? Can we get excited about those books? So, you've got to build your faith on God's Word. Secondly, as you're building your faith on God's Word, at the same time, you limit your exposure to the world's narrative. I already told you about being careful about the Christian bookstore and Christian music and Christian radio and, and everything Christian. Beware. Now I'm telling you, beware of what is non-Christian in our society, that narrative. Because, think about this. Postmodernists, as we've shown... They don't believe they can reason their way to an ethic that is universal and binding. They don't believe there is such a thing as a universally binding ethic. They think that ethics are constructed and deconstructed according to the will of the culture. Without objective truth, then what is the point of their stories? What's the point of their movies and their television shows and their books and their bookstores and and all of that? All the stories they tell, they do have a point. And that is they want to deconstruct objective truth and the morality of the Judeo-Christian culture that we've had, and they want to reconstruct something different. Cultural Marxism, if you want to just use a simple term to describe the whole thing. So what they do is they use their stories to manipulate your emotions, to manipulate your idea of what's right and what's wrong so that they can get you to think like they think. They can start to deconstruct your belief in all the things that the Bible says, and then they can reconstruct your belief in their ideas of what is just and right and fair and good. And that's what they do through storytelling. So be careful about your exposure to that storytelling. Don't be overconfident. This is something I have to remind myself of. Just because I'm a pastor, just because I know the Bible, just because I've walked with Christ for so long, I shouldn't become overconfident. And think, well, yeah, I can watch this stuff and it won't bother me and I can listen to this music and it won't affect me and, and all that. Limit your exposure to their narrative, especially for young people. Now, I'm not saying old people just, you know, don't worry about it, but I'm saying especially the young people need to be aware of their exposure to the world's narratives, the world's stories. Second Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, Paul was concerned... And the media that they had back in Paul's day was not nearly as powerful as the media that we have now. The power for storytelling through the media is just amazingly powerful. And so Paul was concerned back then. I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, the serpent is cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere, there's our word sincere again, and pure, synonym for sincere, devotion to Christ. So Satan wants to lead you astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. And he's not going to give up just because, well, you're an elder in the church. He's not going to give up just because, well, you've walked with Christ for so long. He's going to keep coming at you. And he's going to be subtle. He's very skillful at this. And so you have to be on your guard. You have to be careful. Don't watch anything without a critical mindset. Don't watch anything without saying, what are they trying to deconstruct here and what are they trying to put back in its place now that you know that's what the game is? And watch out for your children. 
don't let your children be deceived by the serpent and his cunning and lead their thoughts astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. The education system, the media, it's all designed to lead the children astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. You must guard your children. You must shepherd them. You must raise them, as Scripture says, in the discipline and admonition of the Lord. So limit you and your family's exposure to the narrative, to the message that the world is trying to conform us to. This is what Paul warned us about in Romans chapter 12, some of the most important verses in the New Testament on how to grow in Christ, how to become a strong Christian, how to be what God wants us to be individually and corporately. And Paul starts off there by saying, do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's the word of God that is going to renew your mind. That when you read it the right way, you believe it, it changes you in your thinking, in your heart, in your mind, and even your emotions and what you are attracted by and what you're repulsed by. All of that is changed by the word of God, but the world is going to try to conform you. It's got its own way of changing your thinking. It's got its own way of changing your heart and your affections and your desires. And when you are not conformed to the world, but instead you are transformed by the renewing of your mind, then you may discern what the will of God is. You put it to test, you experience it, and you see what is good and acceptable and perfect. Is what the world is creating through their education in the last 50 years through their entertainment, their media in the last 50 years, is that producing things that are good and acceptable and perfect? Are we looking around and seeing mental health increasing among all aspects of society? Are we looking at marriages and families growing stronger? Are we looking at people being more capable, more successful, more generous and more kind and more blessed? No, we're not seeing that at all. So don't go that way. Instead, follow the path of those who are proving what is good and acceptable and perfect. You look at them, you say, I want what they've got. And so let's be that in the world, showing the world a light of what God has created us to be as his creation. Don't be conformed to the world, so limit your family's exposure to the narrative, the stories that the world is trying to tell us to conform our thinking to their thinking. Number three, you've got to build your family. Here's a key. Don't let the government and the marketplace overrun your home. Don't let the government and the marketplace overrun your home. Big business and big government seem to just be taking over every aspect of life, from education to health care to child raising. It's everywhere and in everything. You've got to say, no, that's not the place of big business. That's not the place of big government. That my home is my home. And men, you're going to shepherd your home according to God's word and according to the spirit of Christ and not let the world run roughshod over that and tell you this is how you're supposed to run your home. This is how you're supposed to be a part of society. Well, let's uh, separate ourselves from society a little bit and build our homes, our own families. You know, Adolf Hitler said, he alone who owns the youth gains the future. He who owns the youth gains the future. And so Satan takes target at the young. And big government and big business, they want to control the youth so they can control the future. Take that back. Fathers, mothers, remember what God commanded you in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. We talked about this last week in our family Sunday school. Fathers and mothers, this word is inclusive, do not provoke your children to anger but bring them up in the discipline and admonition of the Lord. 
Who is to bring children up? Parents are to bring children up. That's God's command to you. Now, whether the world listens to God's command and has common sense, that's not our major concern. Our major concern is, how about you? How about us? Are we raising our children? You know, it's been said, conservatives have children and liberals raise them. Conservatives have children and liberals raise them. Go to the high school, go to the college, go to the university. All liberals. We send our kids there. Teach our kids how to be good liberals. Why have children if you're not going to raise them? Raise your children. Have children. That's a command too in Scripture. Have children. Raise children. Build your family. That's what we are going to do in an age of deconstruction. The world wants to deconstruct family. We're going to build our families. Daycare is never plan A. There's a place for daycare in society. There's a few times when my mom had to drop me off at daycare because, you know, life happens. It wasn't my favorite thing. But daycare is never plan A. The bond that forms between mother and child in those early years is essential to human development because that's how God created us. Very important you raise your children. Mothers, love your children. You can't give them to someone else. You've got to be there. They've got to be in your arms. They've got to hear your voice. They've got to see your face day after day and to know that there's someone in this world who loves them. There's someone in this world who would give their life for them. There's someone in this world that forms a connection and an attachment to them at a young age that is meaningful to them for the rest of their life. And when that child comes into his darkest days as an adult, the cry from his heart is, I want my mommy. That won't happen if you put him in daycare. God created us. We do it God's way. It's going to be blessed. Build your family. Don't listen to the world. Don't let them tell you how to build a family. Don't tell them tell you how you're supposed to live your life, what's important, what's valuable, what's meaningful. They have no idea. They've ruined generations. It's time for us to be different. And not just a little bit different, not just a few steps behind. We should be going in a totally different direction. What this says, wholeheartedly we're pursuing it because we believe it. I trust God. What he says is good, acceptable. It's perfect. Fathers, during the sermon, you should be writing down things that you want to talk with your wife and your kids later in the week. You are the husband. You are the dad. Don't Give up your responsibility. Don't give up on your responsibility. Don't say, it's too hard, I can't do it. I've tried, she won't listen to me. My kids, I've told them over and over, they don't listen to me. I just give up. That's not the Spirit of Christ. You've got power from God to lead your wife, to love your wife, to lay down your life for your kids. God will give you wisdom if you ask for it. But if you don't believe and you don't ask and you're just lazy and you just give up and you just say, well, I can't, it's it's too hard. Children, do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Who are you keeping company with? Are you keeping company with people who honor their father and their mother? people who forgive those who wrong them, people who are slow to anger, 
people who are generous and gracious? Are you keeping company with those who blow up, who lose their temper, who speak against their mom and dad, who are always taking everything personal and are grumpy and... and Who you hang out with is going to have a profound effect on your development. Parents, do you know who your kids hang out with? Do you know who their friends are? Do you know if they're good company or bad company? You know, we talk about how sometimes parents have wanted to send their kids to public school so that they can be a light in the world. Well, let's train them how to be a Christian from a young age, so they can go out into the world and be a light in the world. You know, before you put a soldier on the front lines, it's good to give him some training. You just put him out there and say, good luck. They're going to get killed. Fathers, you're the ones who are supposed to be doing the work of evangelists. You're the ones who are supposed to be reaching your neighborhood. You're the ones who are supposed to be speaking at the public schools. You're the ones who are supposed to be on the front lines, being the light in the world and the salt. Don't send your kids out there untrained and say, well, they're doing the job. You didn't train them. You put them out there to do the job, and they're getting spiritually slaughtered. This is what Jesus said in Mark chapter 9, verse 50. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Kids raised in public schools, some of them come out okay. Most of them don't. They're not salty. They lost their saltiness. How are you going to make them salty again? Opportunity lost. Well, most pastors won't say that. But I say it because I love you. And I want you to make wise choices. And I want you to recognize you don't have to make the same mistakes your parents made. You can do things differently. And things have changed. The world is not the same as it was when I was growing up in the world. Let's be wise. Now, as we're talking about family, there's something here that I really want to highlight and make a strong point of, is that you need to make sure that Christ is supreme in your family. Husbands, you can't make your wife supreme in the family and say, as long as I've got her, I'll be okay. I'll just do whatever it takes to make my wife happy, to please her, because happy wife, happy life. That's not being a man. You can't put your kids first, parents. You can't say, well, as long as I've got the love of my children, I'm happy. And I'll do whatever it takes so that my children like me and and we get along and everything goes okay and I can enjoy my kids. You can't do that. Your kids will not turn out well if you make them the idol of your heart. You've got to have a Christ-centered home. Come with me to Matthew chapter 10, verse 37. Matthew chapter 10 in your Bibles. When I talk about building your family, I don't mean putting your wife or your children on the pedestal and and worshiping them as your all in all. Back in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus is speaking about the supremacy of Christ in our lives. And he starts off there in verse 34. Let's back it up to get the whole context. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. 
I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. If you put Christ and God first in your life and in your home, it's not always going to be easy. It's not like automatically your marriage is going to be perfect and your kids are going to be perfect and everything goes just the way you want it to. You're going to be tested. You're going to be tried. There can be conflict in homes when Christ is put at the center. But wives, put Christ at the center of your home. Husbands, put Christ at the center of your home. If your husband does not, there's going to be some difficulty. If your wife does not, there's going to be some difficulty. But you don't abandon your commitment to Christ to avoid difficulty. You don't abandon your commitment to Christ in order to try to salvage the difficulty in your relationship with your children. If you love your son or your daughter more than you love Christ... Christ says, you're not worthy of me. You don't know who I am. Your thinking's all turned upside down. Your values are misaligned. For an example of this, come back with me to the Old Testament, the book of Deuteronomy. The teaching of Deuteronomy and the teaching of Christ, the teaching of Moses and the teaching of Jesus are in line. They are synced up. There's no substantial difference, no essential difference between the truth that we find in the books of Moses and the truth that we find in the words of Jesus. Here's an example. In Deuteronomy chapter 13, verse 6, God's instruction was this. If your brother, the son of your mother, or your son or your daughter, or the wife you embrace, or your friend who is as your own soul, entices you secretly saying, let us go and serve other gods, which neither you nor your fathers have known, some of the gods of the peoples who are around you, whether near you or are far off, from one end of the earth to the other. You shall not yield to him or listen to him, nor shall your eye pity him, nor shall you spare him. You shall not conceal him, but you shall kill him. Your hand shall be first against him to put him to death, and afterward the hand of all the people." You shall stone him to death with stones because he sought to draw you away from the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, and all Israel will hear and fear and never again do any such wickedness as this among you. Now, that passage is an abomination to our culture and is a huge embarrassment to most Christians. Because most Christians are not worthy of Christ. We don't live in a theocracy and we're not putting anyone to death for idolatry. But if we did live back then, and your child, whom you love, your only son, your only daughter, says, hey, I want to give up on worshiping the Lord and I want to go worship Baal and I want you to come with me. 
what would you do? Would you obey the commandment of God? Or would you say, I can't. I just can't. When Jesus calls us to follow him, he calls us to die to ourselves, our desires, to everything. If you lose your life, you'll find it. But if you try to hold on to that, I guarantee you, from the word of God, from the promise of Jesus himself, you will lose it. Try to hold on to that relationship. Try to hold on to that love and forsake Christ in order to hold on to it. You'll lose it. You'll be in hell. He'll be in hell. It's not a winning proposition. It's not a game. This Christianity, this religion, we're dealing with the most important things, the most sacred, the most holy. Next week, we'll be looking into God's Word to further look at family, how to build your family on God's Word. And we're going to do something a little different next week. We're going to have a kind of a, a discussion, you know, a, a postmodern dialogue here on the stage uh, between myself and Dan Badir. And we're going to be talking about what does it mean for a wife to submit to her husband? Because this is a doctrine that, again, is an abomination to the world. And it's a doctrine that then sometimes people will misunderstand and mischaracterize what a wife's submission to her husband is supposed to look at. And, and they'll try to be so countercultural that they end up going off in, in a non-biblical direction. So we want to look and talk about what does it mean, what does it look like, for a wife to submit to her husband because this is the very heart of the home, the very heart of the family. If husbands aren't functioning like husbands, if wives aren't functioning like wives, according to God's word, then our families can't be what they're supposed to be. And if our families aren't what they're supposed to be, then we together, as the family of God, can't be what we're supposed to be. Satan knows how to destroy. He knows where the pressure points are. He knows where if I just weaken this... The whole thing is going to come collapsing down. And so, husbands love your wives. Wives, submit to your husbands, as it says in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 to 33. Bring questions. We'll have a Q&A time at the end of the discussion, the dialogue between Dan and myself. And we'll continue to stand on God's word and build in an age of deconstruction.